0: first question. How many of you in your prayers have deliberately used some of the principles from the book? All right. So I'm hoping this will help encourage that and inform that so that it is more uh, more doable. It's not that we didn't hear the information, but how do we consider applying it? So what I try to do is take a practical aspect from each chapter and put it under the title of each chapter. And so here's the plan. I'm going to hand out a copy to everybody. We're going to go through it. We're going to talk about it briefly. Then we're going to make a list. Of things that we should be praying for as a church. So, as a church universal, but then for our church as well. Then, guess what we're going to do? We're going to pray. Woohoo! All right. And I'm not here to, you know, crush anybody and make anybody feel uncomfortable. So, if you don't want to pray, you don't have to pray. But the more people that pray, the merrier. All right. So, Jonathan, can you pass these out? Just one sheet, there's front and back, and I realized that I, I did the narrow margins, so the top is cut off on the back, so I'll have to read that when we get there. I always do the narrow margins. I like fitting more information on one page. Huh? Tree <laughs> It's not about being a tree hugger. <laughs> Silly Rob. I'm sorry. Correct. All right, so could there have been different things that I put? Sure, but what I try to do, like I said, is just create uh, or find something that was impactful to me that will hopefully be impactful to each of us, something that we can re- refer to when we're praying. So chapter one, a heart set on God. Continual, persistent, incessant, incessant prayer is an essential part of Christian living, and it flows out of a dependence on God. So bottom line from chapter one, we need to be praying regularly. We need to be praying thoughtfully, and we need to understand that that is an act of dependence on God. And... Realize that's what we're doing when we're praying, is we are actively illustrating to the world that we depend on him. Number two, chapter two, seeking the Lord in secret. God's purpose in prayer is not for us to inform him or persuade him to respond to our needs, but to open sincere and continual lines of communication with him. So prayer flows out of dependence on God and it is also to maintain a relationship with Him. So when we're talking, we're not talking to Him like He's some distant king that we've never met before that we can't be open and honest to. He knows us more intimately than we do ourselves. If we're married, He knows us more than our spouse. If we have children, he knows us more than our children. He he knows us. We can be open and honest with him. We can be um, sincere. Chapter 3, Our Father. Prayer begins and ends not with the needs of man, but with the glory of God. It should be concerned primarily, I think I missed a word there, with who God is. What he wants and how he can be glorified. So, when we are praying, we need to remember that prayer, and there's a couple of these that kind of touch on the same idea, is not to change God, it's to change us, but it is to glorify him. And it is for his purposes. We are praying to bring about his purposes, not to get what we want. Number four, hallowed be your name. Our Father's name is most hallowed when we behave in conformity to his will. For Christians to live in disobedience to God is the ultimate in taking his name in vain, claiming as Lord someone we're not even willing to follow. So this is where we need to consider are we following him? Are we doing anything? That is interrupting our relationship with him. Are there sins that we are giving into? Are there areas where we're not fighting? We're not willing to fight. And then we're saying, Lord. And yet, in this part of our life, we're not acting as though he's Lord. We're doing whatever we want. Almost acting as though he doesn't exist. That is the highest offense for a Christian. And let's be honest. We all have stumbling blocks. We all have times, hopefully they're brief, where this might be the case. Where we stumble, but we have to get back up and keep going. We, and it's not about us, it's about getting back to him. Number five, your kingdom come. A true child of God won't be preoccupied with his own plans and desires, but with the determinate program of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Having a desire for his kingdom to come does nothing for our worldly plans. It should do nothing for our worldly plans. Our highest concern should be to strengthen, to build, and to look forward to his coming kingdom. That should be part of the theme of our prayers. When we are praying, we should be considering how our prayers can do one of those things. Strengthen, build, or bring glory to God's coming kingdom. Number six, your will be done. The Bible is unequivocal about God's absolute sovereignty, yet within his sovereignty, he commands us to exercise our responsible wills in certain areas, including beseeching him in prayer. If God did not act in response to prayer, Jesus' teaching about prayer would be futile and meaningless and all commands. Oh, I messed that up. To pray, pointless. I did do spell check, but obviously Ray is a word. Uh, our task is not to solve the dilemma of how God's sovereignty works with human responsibility, but to believe and act on what God commands us about prayer. So if anybody else in here is analytical like me, I know that there's a few, we can almost talk ourselves into saying, yeah, but it doesn't really matter if I pray because God knows what I'm thinking, and so I don't have to pray as much as somebody says I do because he'll just read my mind and I'm good. But asking God just to read our mind is not an act of submission. It's an act of pride. It's an act of, I would say, in a sense, defiance to say, I'm not going to do what you told me to do because he told us to pray. So we are to follow that, trusting that there's a reason why. And as I've said before, I believe the reason is because it changes us. As we see God work through our prayers in us and in others, our faith is strengthened. And we are better prepared to serve him. All right, seven, give us this day our daily bread. And I'll fix this and reprint it, or I'll, maybe I can send it out in the email. And that way, if anybody wants it, they can have it. Uh, we are to rely on the Lord one day at a time to accept the Lord's provision for the present day without concern for our needs or welfare tomorrow. Uh, this is a testimony of our contentment in his goodness and faithfulness prayer focuses on God as one who supplies I don't know about you guys but this is one of the hardest ones for me to not worry about tomorrow I'm always thinking about tomorrow and next week and next year I'm always trying to figure out and plan ahead that's why I'm a financial planner because I like to plan ahead but we are told focus on today Trust God for today. God's only going to give us the grace we need for today. He's not going to give us the grace for tomorrow today, until tomorrow. He's only going to give us what we need today. And if you're like me in any any stretch, you've worried about tomorrow at some point in your life. And if when we are able to say, "All right, Lord, I have everything that I need today that I need today," I will let you. Fulfill what I need tomorrow when we get there? What a supreme act of faith by His grace that we can show. And remember that when we pray and when we are obedient, who sees what we're doing? Yell it out. God. God, okay, but who else? I'm sorry? Well, yes. So the Trinity as a whole sees us, right? But what else? Who else? Other believers. Can that be encouraging to see another believer act in faith when things are difficult? Yeah. Who else? Unbelievers. Is there a chance that we have an opportunity to witness when, by God's grace, we are able to show faithfulness in adversity that is uncharacteristic of the unbelieving world? Who else? The angels. angels. Does God get glory in that regard? If angels see our obedience? Absolutely. And yes, the demons. So we have to understand when we act in obedience, it's not just one little thing. It is a great opportunity to glorify God in multiple realms, in multiple ways. Chapter 8, forgive us our debts. There were a number of different ways I could go on this one. I thought this one was helpful. If you don't confess your sins, you will become hardened. Forgiveness is the mark of a truly regenerate heart. So the two aspects that he focused on in this chapter was, number one, we must confess our sins even if we are saved. He gave the example of the washing of the feet. Jesus, Peter said fine, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my whole body. And he says, you don't need that. You only need your feet washed. And the the symbolism was he was already clean enough to get into heaven, but he had some dirt on him from the day. He needed that to be washed. And so I would say in general, at least once a day, we should be asking God to forgive us for our sins for that day, at minimum. But then part two is we must forgive. That is one of one of the few things where again by God's grace we can be like God to forgive. It is one of the most godly things that he allows us to do is to forgive somebody else for what they may have done to make our life difficult. when necessary. So Jim Berg talks about forgiveness and quieting a noisy soul, and he says, if you have sinned against someone, it is your responsibility to confess that sin and to seek restoration in that relationship, especially if it's a Christian, primarily if it's a Christian, as much as you are able. So, if you are able to talk face-to-face with somebody that you have sinned against, or if they have sinned against you, then you should do it. If you're unable, then you confess it to God and you pray that he would work it out. And I'll tell you this. I had a situation a couple years ago where um, another Christian and I had a falling out, and it was very difficult. It was very stressful. And I kept praying, and he ended up moving out of state. And I was like, Lord, what do I do? I still have this a little bit of resentment and bitterness, and I don't want that, and I need to, I know I need to completely forgive him, and, you know, do I need to still try to contact him to talk through these things, and guess what? I was sincere, and I think within a month, he called me, and we were able to kind of clear the water a little bit, and... So I, I truly believe when we want to do what is right, God will make a way for it to happen. Uh, number nine, deliver us from evil. Every struggle and trial we experience allowed by God to test us, to exercise our spiritual muscles, and to help us mature. But if you don't commit the situation to God and stand in his strength, Satan will turn it into, into a temptation He will entice your lusts and may draw you into sin. This is so important for us to understand. That initial... We'll use lust as an example, because it's the easiest picture. That initial look where you see something that entices you is not sin. Yet... The temptation then comes to either look further, longer, or more intently, and that is the temptation that we have to resist. If we are able to resist it, we do not sin. If we are unable to resist it, we sin. And obviously that can flow different ways, but the idea is we are given, we are tempted, But that initial contact is not sin. It's when we give in to the temptation that comes through that contact that we sin. You know, having one scoop of ice cream is not sin. But seeing four different types of ice cream and wanting two scoops of every one, I would say that's sin. 99 times out of 100. I'm sure there might be one reason when it's not. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but gluttony is.
0: <laughs> but understanding that it's not that initial contact is important, but when that initial contact comes, that brings that opens the door for temptation. So what we need to be doing is looking out for those things that Satan can use, or that our flesh uses to tempt us to sin. Because it's not always Satan, and it's not always our flesh. This has been a a continual discussion in my family for uh, many, many years, and we can't decipher when it's Satan and when it's the flesh. We just know that the, the Scripture tells us it's sin, our flesh, and the devil that are our enemies. So, We'll leave it at that. Number 10, praying for the right things. If you want to pray for one another, don't pray for the physical necessities only. Make it your priority to pray for the important spiritual issues of life because they are of the greatest concern to God. His ultimate purpose is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, the little tests and trials in life are important only insofar as they reveal your greater spiritual need. God is most concerned about your response and attitude toward events that occur in your life. When we are praying, and we are considering eternity, and we are considering God, it is more important that we pray for the right right responses to difficulties than it is that we pray to make the right decision. Because God's in control of the, desi- of the outcome. We don't need to worry about the outcome. We need to worry about, number one, the faithfulness, but number two, the response to what happens. In every little circumstance, think about this. How you respond to your parents, how you respond to your friends, how you respond or uh, uh, where you go to school, if you end up going to school, where you work, who you marry, how you uh, discipline your children, uh, all of these things, the only reason, the only aspect of them that matters is how God uses that to make us more like Christ. Christ that's it so if you lose your job if your house burns down if a loved one dies if those things happen the only thing that truly matters is how God uses that specific thing to make you more like Christ and that's hard for us to, to accept because we are selfish rotten sinners much of the time I was going to say except when we're sleeping but even then sometimes. Why what? Oh, oh yeah. And do you think about this? I don't know if you ever considered this. What is the root should I say sin? What is the root sin in asking why? Pride. Pride absolutely because behind it we're saying I don't deserve this this shouldn't have happened to me so when we ask why it should be an opportunity for us to say okay where how am I looking at things incorrectly Jim Yeah, and, and that, that's the goal, right? When difficult things happen, to either say, you know, this is the will of God, or and understand that. What, what verse is that? Okay. I'm sorry? Thessalonians? Okay. Is it 417? Yeah, one of those. Um, or to say like Job, you know, naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord, right? So the idea is to realize that it is his prerogative to give and to take away. And it's, it's so profound to me to consider to, to really grasp on to the fact that nothing in this life truly matters apart from how it makes us more like Christ. Christ. What peace if we can really hold on to that? All right, number 11, praying for the lost. Do we fully realize the desperate condition the lost are in? Do we really want to see God glorified by the salvation of souls? Do we sympathize with the compelling reality of their lost souls for both time and eternity? Are we thankful the gospel message is extended to all and for our privilege of sharing it? If those components are lacking in our hearts, we will be indifferent. Often, we are indifferent simply because we are not obedient to those urgings. So this is something that we really need to ask ourselves. Can we say yes to all of these questions? If not, these are areas that we should be praying about, asking God to change our hearts so that we would have the right attitude towards these things All right So this is the main area that I want to focus on. I want us to be our prayers to be informed by these things. So here's what I'm thinking. We're going to make a list and everybody will participate, of the things that we should be praying for as a church. And then my thought is uh, to get some volunteers and have everybody take at least one of those things and pray intentionally thinking about these directives. And then also, I want to read this. I'll give you guys a copy afterwards. But in the Alone with God book, there was a saying at the end of chapter 9. And I'm, I'm going to read that to you. And I call it a gut check. I cannot say our if I only live for myself in a spiritual, watertight compartment. I cannot say Father if I do not endeavor each day to act like his child. I cannot say who art in heaven, if I am laying up no treasure there. I cannot say hallowed be thy name, if I am not striving for holiness. I cannot say thy kingdom come, if I am not doing all in my power to hasten that wonderful day. I cannot say thy will be done, if I am disobedient to his word. I cannot say on earth, as it is in heaven, if I will not serve him now. I cannot say, give us our daily bread, if I am dishonest or an under-the-counter shopper. I cannot say, forgive us our debts, if I harbor a grudge against anyone. I cannot say, lead us not into temptation, if I deliberately place myself in its path. I cannot say, deliver us from evil if I do not put on the whole armor of God. I cannot say, thine is the kingdom, if I do not give to the king the loyalty due him as a faithful subject. I cannot attribute to him the power if I fear what men may do. I cannot ascribe to him the glory if I am seeking honor for myself. I cannot say forever if the horizon of my life is bounded completely by the things of time. So, I'll give everybody a copy of this. I thought it was very helpful to be able to see it. And, again, another area for for us to pray. We are called to uh, examine our hearts regularly. And this is a great tool to use to examine our hearts, especially when we're praying. All right. Let's make a list of some things that we should be praying about. And and I'll say this. Are there things physically that we should be praying about? Yes. But we have to consider the spiritual implications even more so in those things. For example... One of the things that we've talked about in recent months is selling the archery and even does it make sense for us to um, do some remodeling or repairs to this building or to try to find another building. So that's the physical level. Are there spiritual inc- implications to those things? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, two spiritual implications that come to mind. If you have others, you know, feel free to share them. But I think this is an area that we should be praying. First spiritual Im- implication, if we do leave, what type of impact does that have on the people that live in this area? I think it's something that we should at least consider. Yes? because periodically we do get people that visit that live in the area. Now, less frequently than it used to be. And so let's see. So you guys are Royal Oak, Hazel Park, Hazel Park, uh Claust- no, Madison Heights. Royal Oak, you're Rochester, and then you're in Plymouth. No, Farmington. Close. <laughs> And I'm in Clarkson. So, half the people here live in the same city as... Less than half of the people here live in the same city. The majority of people live in a city or two or more away. So, is it less of a concern as it used to be? Or less of a demand as it used to be? Yes, because I think less people are going to church overall, which is sad. But, reality. But also... it does play a role to, to some extent. If we did find another building, and I guess this leads to the second part, how do the people in the church respond? So, how would the surrounding uh, people around here respond to us moving? But then, how would we respond? Because And I have no idea what the best answer is. All I know is half of me says, let's fix some things up and stay here. And the other half of me says, there's so much work to do here and so much of this building that we don't use. Let's find something that's more practical, more cost effective so that we can do more. I don't know what the best decision is, but what's more important than that how each one of us responds to whatever the church does decide. Each one of us are going to have a gut reaction. Each one of us are going to have uh, an opportunity to respond in a way that is honoring to God, or not. So, the first thing on the list, I would say, is that we pray, number one, for wisdom to consider these things, but number two, to pray that all of our hearts would be, that we would have unity and that we would be seeking God's glory above sentimentalism, above ease, above whatever things might cause us to respond negatively. Again, I don't know, and I don't think there's anybody that is 100% absolutely we should stay, absolutely we should go. I think most people are kind of questioning, trying to figure out. And we don't have all the answers yet. But what's the goal? The goal isn't to live it, to stay in the same building for eternity, because one day this is all going to be burned up. The goal is to glorify Jesus Christ in a local assembly. Yes? Alright, so item number one. What to do with our church building. Any other aspects from a spiritual perspective that you guys can think of uh, that we should consider? Well, not necessarily, not at this point. Uh, We're going to have a quick meeting on the 4th Uh, to discuss the latest. I don't even know what the latest is. Uh, But we don't know what can happen. We don't know what might change. I know that there was an offer for the archery and the main building, but it was low, and so that was turned down. That's all I know. So, All right. Yes. Probably not the time and place right now to answer. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. That would be a nice problem to have, as they say. And it it does happen. It does happen in. in, So, okay. There there are two aspects that I found. Every one of us has these bents, right? There's a handful of us that say, Oh, I haven't used this in five years, but I might need it in the next five, so I'm going to hold on to it. And then there's the other personality that says, I haven't used this in a year. Garbage. If I need it again, I'll buy a new one, right? Those are the two typically that people fall into i'm not saying one's right or one's wrong but i think there's a time and place for both of those things depending on what it is so we're going to have extremes the key is to not let our bent guide us to sinful responses because here's the reality we are called to love one another We are called to submit to one another. We are called to admonish one another. We are called to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to help one another. There's a lot of one another's that we're called to do. All those things are of a higher concern in God's eyes than being a certain zip code. Whether it's this one or another. Jonathan. Right. Because if you think about Noah, for example, he was preaching for what, a years or whatever? Yeah. And there was not one controversy. Right. You know, I mean there's examples of people who were told, You are to be my witness, you are to be telling people about me. Yeah, many of the prophets. Isaiah. Yeah. And, that, and that's a great point too. We are called to be faithful. We are not called to accomplish certain things. And let's be honest. Do you know why we want specific guidelines? So that we can do them and then go do whatever we want. That's the reality. Because that's what the Pharisees do, or did. They took the law and they said, All right, well, all right. Yeah, we can figure out a way to do that. Let's add these things so that we make it more doable and then we'll put ourselves in a position so that we can check off all these boxes and then we can do whatever we want. Whether they said that out loud or not, I don't know, but that's the way they lived. And that's what we want. We want the Bible to tell us what percentage of money we're supposed to give, how many hours a week we're supposed to read the Bible, how many people we're supposed to give the gospel to. We want it to be compartmentalized so that we can get it done and do what we want. But instead, God says, I want your heart. It's not as simple as doing those things. It's doing those things for the right reason. And that's what's so perfect about the fact that he, never gave, he doesn't give us specific guidelines in those areas because we are wicked and we would try to find ways around doing them from a right uh, motive. All right. What else should we be praying about as a church? And if you think of another aspect of praying for the building, uh, that, you know, from a spiritual perspective, let me know if that... Jumps into your brain as we're discussing these things, but what else? Okay, I've got an idea, but what's your in what perspective the congregation? Okay, so be and make disciples. Okay, so there's there's a few different ways we can approach this. But if we put it succinctly, we are to be and make disciples. Our church, be and make disciples. Now again, let's consider what are the implications from a horizontal plane here on Earth and then what are the vertical implications of that? All right, so. All right, here's what what I'm getting at. From a horizontal perspective, what does it take for us to be and make disciples? Relationships. It takes relationships. Okay, so that's something to pray about, that God would give us opportunities to build relationships. So I can't remember if I said this in one of our discussions or at some point. I think I probably did. Uh, but one of my biggest takeaways from the conference that we went to a few weeks ago, a month ago, whatever it was, is that we should be looking to have good conversations with people that give us opportunities to have God conversations with people that give us opportunities to have gospel conversations with people. Let's, you know, be frank here. The days where it was not only acceptable, but it was... Uh, I don't want to say profitable either, but it was it was normal for a church to go door to door and actually have meaningful spiritual conversations. At least in this area, those days are gone. I'm sorry. Absolutely. So my point is, it's not that we change the gospel, but we stop trying to put a square peg into a round hole. And I think similar to the way it was in the first century church, you talk to the people that you encounter. You build relationships with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your family members, with your friends. And you live the gospel And you have good conversations with them that lead to God conversations, that lead to gospel conversations. Our goal, our focus, is not to build Ambassador Baptist Church. Our focus is to build the church of Jesus Christ, not of Latter-day Saints. But we are to build his church, right? So when we are having a conversation with somebody that lives 30 miles away... Is it still a possibility that they would come? Is it, Trent? Right? Yes, there's a possibility, but more than likely, they might end up going to a church that's maybe closer to where they live. Should that diminish our taking the opportunities to share the gospel with them and build a relationship with them? Absolutely not. We should be actively pursuing relationships for the purpose of getting to the gospel now does that mean you know we're kind of like a covert operative and we're we're faking it so that we can finally get to the gospel no not at all it means that we are trying to build genuine genuine relationships with people because we care for their souls so we have to be looking for those opportunities so from a horizontal level we need to have our eyes open to the opportunities that God gives us. Now, from a horizontal perspective, in our relationship with God, what implications are there? So, horizontal. Oh, did I say horizontal twice? All right, we'll check the tape. Forgive me. Vertical. From a vertical perspective, what are the implications? For us? What should we be praying about? Okay, that we would have opportunities. Jim? Yes. Okay, so I think those are the two areas. Number one, we have to be ready. Yeah. So we have to be ready, number one. How do we get ready? We train. We read the Bible. We pray. We ask for opportunities. We look for opportunities. We are faithful when those opportunities come. We listen to preaching other than just Sunday night or Sunday morning. We read other, you know, guess what? We are allowed to read more than just the Bible, in case you didn't know that. But we should be reading the Bible. You know, it's not reading despite the Bible, it's reading in addition to. So we have to train and we have to be ready for those opportunities do we have to go to seminary, to seminary to do that? No. We have to know what the gospel is. Have you guys ever heard who, who, what, what, what? The gospel presentation? Who is God? I'm going to give you the simple version. I can give you the long version. Who is God? Who is man? What did man do? What did God do? What do we have to do then? Simple way to remember the gospel. Again, I can give you more details, but that's a different conversation. Who, who, what, what, what. And if you can remember those things, and you have the opportunity to give the gospel, just remember who, who, what, what, what. But we have to be prepared. So we have to be intentional with our time preparing, and we have to pray for and look for those relationships that we can build. All right. What else should we be praying for as a church? Revival. All right. So let's let's park there for a minute. What does revival mean? and Okay. So I didn't I've never thought about this till a couple of years ago, but I heard of somebody say all these churches are having revival meetings. How do they know there's going to be a revival? Now, I went to revival meetings when I was a kid, and to me it was they brought in an evangelist, and the evangelist got everybody excited about the gospel. And, and, you know, it was exciting, but calling it a revival meeting is a little bit presumptuous. Right, Because it's saying that a revival is going to happen, like at Asbury College. Um, But the idea is to light a fire in the hearts of Christians so that they would be more fervent for the Lord, so that they would be more sincere in their relationship with him, and so that that would spread and... I know that it works this way in my house. If I'm diligently seeking God, guess what? My wife starts to diligently seek God. If I'm not diligently seeking God, guess what? My wife tends to slow down as well. And it's the same thing with the kids. And it's the same thing in a nutshell in our congregation. If there are people in the church where you see them growing and you see their passion and you see them talking about this book that they read and, and talking about this witnessing opportunity. There should be a desire in your heart. I want to do that. I want to be used by God. Maybe I should start reading more. Maybe I should start praying more. It is contagious. So that's how truly the Spirit works, right? Is It gets a hold of the heart of believers and then it becomes infectious, and it spreads. And, you know, if you've got one match, not likely it's going to spread to that pile of dry leaves 10 feet away. But if you've got 100 matches, you've got a much better chance of igniting that thing. So the more of us that are, you know, to use a, a, a present-day term, on fire for God the more likely that will spread. If we are not passionate for God, if other people don't sense that passion for Christ, to serve him, to honor him, to live for him, it's less likely that they're going to have the same uh, response. Norma. What was the last thing you said? Yes, ultimate well, okay. So, yes. Absolutely man cannot take credit for revival. We all agree with that. It is the whole it is the work of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? That also comes with building the church. So, we might pray. So for example, with our second one. Praying for our church uh, that we would be and make disciples. Are we going to do that in our own strength? No. We need the Holy Spirit to do that. We need the Holy Spirit to bring revival. He has to do it. We can be used by him. Which brings up a great point. How do we get used by the Holy Spirit what is our number one course of action I'm sorry no no what do we have to do so that the Holy Spirit will work in and through us I was going to say submit but yes obedience comes with submission right if we are submissive to the Holy Spirit we will obey that's what it takes to be used by him So, all right, for number three, let's say, I'm going to modify it a little bit. Let's say revival, but also purification of the church. Because here's the reality. The majority of people in this country, I'm not going to speak for the world, but in this country, the majority that say, I'm a Christian, don't even know what it means to be a Christian. They have fallen in love with some ideals about what they heard about Jesus. They like the idea of belonging to a group and getting some type of conscious, conscience relief of their sin by showing up periodically, whether it's Christmas, Easter and, you know, their birthday or, you know, every other Sunday. But that mental ascent is not Christianity. Jonathan? So you're saying purification now of the church. I'm going to say that you should think of as purification of a believer to the church, not just the church in general. Well, okay, so I, bu- I believe revival deals with believers, purification deals with exposing unbelievers. Well, it does in the the world's eyes. So there's probably a dozen churches on Rochester Road. How many of them are sincerely following Christ? Let's just say two, okay? So the other ten are pictures of the church. So if God purifies the church, those ten no longer exist. That's what I'm talking about. A ratification of the wolves. That to me is the purification. That's what I'm saying. So revival deals with true believers, purification is looking at false believers. Is that, is that also the terminology of to be Christian? That is considered that? Well, here, so here's the reality. Most people that say they're a Christian believe they're a Christian. I don't think that there are too many that Say they're a Christian but don't believe it. It's possible. But the majority believe they are. But the problem is they're misinformed because that's what they're taught. They're taught say a prayer and you're a Christian. They're taught go to church and you're a Christian. They're taught give some money and you're a Christian. That's not biblical. Right, right, and, and, and so here's the reality. It's not just Catholic, but it's Catholic, it's Lutheran, it's Methodist, it's let's it's, let's be honest, it's Baptist. It's it's everybody, right? There is no pure church. It's not in the name. It's in the the group of believers in that location. Yes. Okay. So I think this gives us three areas that we can focus on these are three areas that I think we should be praying for regularly number one what to do on a local level with our church number two how our church can be growing uh, or can be faithful disciples and making disciples and then number three uh, for the church universal that there would be revival and that it would be that Christ's church would be pure and that the, wolf, the wolves would be uh, revealed. All right, I'm going to pray and then I'll take some volunteers and we will pray for these things. Father, oh, how we need you. What little time we generally spend in seeking you and in serving you because of the many distractions of this world, please forgive us. Forgive us for not being more faithful in these many areas that we've discussed tonight. Please strengthen us by your spirit, move within our church, make us more like you so that these things would become a reality. Help us tonight as we pray to consider these things to come to you honestly, openly, sincerely, lovingly, faithfully, expecting you to do what we ask as it glorifies you. Lord, as you will, what you will, when you will. All right. So, here's my thought, again, to kind of Sectional section of this thought. I'm not saying I want you.